1: Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. Two episodes for you this week part one and part two of our year end special. It's kind of a year in review, and it's the stuff that resonated most with, most with me some from just out in the culture wars, some from our very own podcast. We're going to hit you with part one next.
2: It's time for the Michelle Tafoya
0: Podcast.
1: Well, how can we look back on 2023 without remembering a momentous event from January 2nd, Monday Night Football, a name that most Americans had never heard before, suddenly came to the fore, a young man playing safety in a Monday Night Football game, a name I wasn't familiar with even after covering the NFL for as long as I did, but suddenly he became... uh, a household name, and it happened because of a terrifying injury and the moments thereafter. Let's let's roll the tape.
2: Defensive backs than any team in football, 95% of the time. So you're essentially a weak side linebacker in the run game as well. Here's Higgins, wide open to midfield and lowers the shoulder for 13. This is where Joe Burrow is so good and now another Bills player is down. Can't tell exactly who that is. Maybe Hamlin. Jordan Poyer was able to go tonight. He was iffy. Their only pro bowler on this very good defense. Hamlin's taking the place for the injured Micah Hyde. Hmm. That's not what any of us want to see. And everybody's around him and just hope that he's going to be okay. So we'll take another break here in Cincinnati.
1: Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin wearing his jersey down on the field and everyone on that Monday Night Football broadcast, Lisa Salters, the sideline reporter, Joe Buck, the play-by-play man, and Troy Aikman were sitting there watching in horror, and it was an unprecedented moment. I've only seen one other like it that I was involved in, and that was a coach who had collapsed on the field. But this was different. It happened in, you know, he he was hit, got up, and then simply collapsed. Rushed to the hospital. First of all, they had to perform CPR on him for quite a while. It's like nothing we've ever seen. And certainly all of those athletic training and medical staff folks were prepared for that moment and they saved his life, got him to a hospital. He returned to the field, but for days and days, really all year, everyone wanted to know about DeMar Hamlin. Everyone thought about DeMar Hamlin because of what he represented. He essentially died on a football field and was brought back to life. It, for lack of a better term. And he became someone that everyone rallied around, whether you were a football fan or not. And and athletes from the NHL, from the NFL, from all sports were praying for DeMar. And that was the other interesting part of it. People were using the word prayer, pray, praying for DeMar, which was very unusual in this day and age. And I think it brought hope to a lot of people and it certainly galvanized the public around a very visible moment in our in our new year, that <laughs> that made this man a remarkable story in and of himself. And uh, he has been back on the football field. He has been playing for Buffalo. Not a lot, but the fact that he was able to return is simply remarkable. Someone who was not able to return. Someone who's. On-field actions got him the boot from CNN, was another man by the name of Don Lemon. You recall that Nikki Haley was talking about the age of politicians, that Donald Trump and Joe Biden were simply too old to be running for president. They were past their prime. And she used that term, past their prime. Well, Don Lemon, on their new morning show on CNN, of which he was one of the three primary stars, well, he's had a reputation for stubbing his toe verbally from time to time. And this time he really did it when he addressed Nikki Haley's comments. Here's what happened next in this awkward segment of that CNN morning show.
0: She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley is not in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's talking acor- Wait, I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. Say, if you look, if you Google, when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s and 40s. I don't necessarily
1: it, oh, I got another I'm not saying I agree
0: with that. So I think she has to be careful <laughs> about saying that, you know, politicians aren't in their
3: prime. We need to qualify. Way. Are you talking about prime for I mean, like childbearing or are you talking about prime drum, for just
1: being say president? What the facts are. I'm just saying what the facts are because I looked it up on Google. Google, when is a woman in her prime? I mean, if that is the kind of journalism they practice at CNN, well, at least Don Lemon, he deserved to be fired. He deserved to be let go. It was one of the most embarrassing moments in television that I can recall, whether it was cable, national, local, for this man, To go after Nikki Haley's words this way. And, you know, quite frankly, Don Lemon and others at CNN, they were well practiced at this. Let's take any conservative, any Republican, anyone that we don't support, take their words and try to make fools of them. This time, the only fool that showed up was Don Lemon saying, Google, when is a woman in her prime and Nikki Haley's passed it? I don't think so. And by the way, as we speak, she's really catching up to Trump in New Hampshire. I don't know what's going to happen there. But Nikki Haley has proven to be a very likable and formidable force on the political stage. Unlike Don Lemon, I honestly don't know what he's doing these days, but I don't miss him on TV. I don't miss those viewpoints. Something else where someone tried to pull the wool over Americans' eyes and that this man is still employed in his job sickens me. Honestly, it does, because no issue has resonated more with me personally than the crisis at the southern border and the northern border, but really at the southern border. How our president, a shell of a man, the weakest president I can remember since Jimmy Carter, has said, come on over, don't care who you are, don't care if we vet you, really don't care. Just come on over, do it legally, do it illegally. It's okay. Just show up, even if you're on the terrorist watch list. You know what, we'll let the cartels transport you here. Go ahead, pay them thousands and thousands of dollars, all your life savings, so you can come to America illegally and we'll just give you a notice to appear, and everything will be okay.
0: I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee, and you're fleeing oppression, you should come.
1: The number of people who have crossed our southern border illegally in 2023. There aren't words, but I'll try. Jaw-dropping. Astonishing terrifying, never seen before. Net, we have reached historic numbers in 2023, and this ought to bother everyone. And I would point out, too, that other countries in Europe who have allowed this mass migration into their countries, where their cultures are changing because politicians don't want to secure their borders, it, it's, it seems as though this is not playing well with average citizens. And it certainly isn't here in America, but let us show you one Alejandro Mayorkas, who truly is honestly, if they were making a film about a really dopey public servant, someone who really didn't know what he was doing and was maybe had even a twitch. And yeah, this would be the guy they'd go to central casting. They say, you Mr. Mayorkas, you are cast for the job. Let's hear him talk about how the border is closed.
0: I want to be very clear. Our borders are not open. People who cross our border unlawfully and without a legal basis to remain will be pro- promptly processed and removed. An individual who is removed under Title Eight is subject to at least a five-year ban on reentry into the United States and can face criminal prosecution if they attempt to cross again.
1: Okay, you can end it right there, because we know that all of that is sort of gobbledygook. I don't think he really means it. I don't think any of them mean it. Kamala Harris was supposed to go find the root causes. Well, the root cause is we don't have a secure border. You can talk about why people are leaving their lands, but the point of a country is that you are a Piece of land with borders. Just like Norway, just like China, just like North Korea, just like Chile, I could go on. Every country has a border. And to cross into that cross that border, you have to have a reason. You have to be invited. You might have to have a visa, you have to have a passport. But if you go just south of our southern border, you will find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of discarded passports from people who don't want you to know who they are because they drop them once they get to that border and then they cross them. And you know what? The drug cartels who are enabling all of this are laughing at us. We had Christopher Wray, head of the FBI, tell us on Capitol Hill that all of the alarm bells are ringing, that he's never, since 9-11 of 2001, never seen the the terror alarms as bright and stark as they are right now. Doesn't that make you feel good when the government's number one responsibility is to protect its citizens? Just imagine going to your front door one day and you open the door and there are hundreds of people on your front lawn. They all seem nice enough, but they want to they move in. A, you don't have the room, you don't have the resources, you don't know who they are. Would you let them all in? Just chew on that. That's essentially what's going on at our southern border. All right. Into the culture wars. And one of the young women that I really admire is a former University of Kentucky swimmer, Riley Gaines, an all-American, an all-SEC swimmer, and all-around courageous woman. She has taken on this battle against transgender women competing against biological women in sports. Now, it still blows my mind that we are actually having a like a like an argument, a debate about this. Now I I welcome debate. So let's have it. But you see, if you're born male, you're born with a different set of chromosomes and a, a whole different set of DNA than if you're born female. Biological women can give birth. Biological men cannot. Biological women, uh, well, they have this monthly cycle thing that allows them to get pregnant and give birth. Biological men don't. There are a lot of things that biological men have that biological women don't and vice versa. So why, after passing Title IX 50 years ago plus, are we saying, you know what, women? You just have to move over and make way for men who want to compete against you because they believe they are women. Now, this is not transphobic, as everyone likes to say. This is about fairness. This is about preserving stuff that spaces and competition for women, opportunities for women. And people keep saying, oh, this doesn't happen very often. It's not a big deal. Okay. You need to look at the headlines because it seems like every day I wake up, I can find a bicycle race. Uh, some wrestling, weightlifting, something somewhere where a biological man or two are on the podium at the expense of the women who are competing. This is just so flat out wrong. But Riley Gaines has become an absolute force. And when we first had her on the Tafoya podcast, the Michelle Tafoya podcast, she had like 18,000 followers on Twitter. She now is a household name. But let's revisit this moment with Riley Gaines from the Tafoya podcast earlier this year.
4: It just blows my mind. You have people like Brittany Griner. You have someone like Megan Rapinoe and those 37 other athletes who signed on. You have someone like Billie Jean King, who was once a crusader for women's sports. We really have Billie Jean King to a credit for title nine. And these women are now coming out. Of course, they're either done playing or at the end of their career. And of course, none of these three ladies I've mentioned, they don't have daughters to defend. Um, so, hearing them advocate for male inclusion in women's sports and women's spaces and like locker rooms, it's just disingenuous. It's to me, again, knowing these women are done playing or on the verge of being done playing, they have nothing to lose. Um, they would rather be kind and inclusive in virtue signal, but in reality, it's not inclusive to allow men into our sports. It's, it's exclusive. It's exclusive to the very female athletes who title nine was passed to protect. I here's,
1: one of the many reasons I love Riley Gaines. She is fearless. She does not waver. Her commitment to this cause is unwavering. She will go anywhere and talk to any audience on the planet and make her case. And a case is pretty simple. It's pretty simple. So this doesn't have to do with whether or not you want to live your life as a transgender female or transgender male. It, this is not this is not about have you living your life in your own personal truth. This has to do with competition and opportunities and things being taken away from from women in a way that is so blatantly unfair that I'm astonished we have to keep having this conversation. Let's hope that 2024 looks a little better. But on the topic of transgenderism, we had a phenomenal guest named Laura Becker. She transitioned at a very young age and has lived to regret it and now wants to find love with a biological man and have a family if she can. Her story is one of many. You hear about a lot of these, frankly, and they're coming to the fore more and more. And I think what's going to happen is this gender affirmation sort of uh, medical alliance is going to be busted up by lawsuits. Gender affirming care should not be mandatory. No doctor should have to practice this. Have you seen the way that they mutilate some of these bodies? Taking flesh out of an arm or a thigh to make a, another limb for a biological woman so she can feel like a man. All of this is, it's happening to people. Let's, let's take Chris uh, Kris Jenner aside. And it's no longer Chris Jenner.
3: It's
1: Caitlyn Jenner. Let's take that story aside because Caitlyn Jenner did it as a very mature person who had already like had a family and gone through life and, and made that decision later in life. Let's talk about kids who are 8, 9, 10, 15 years old having this done. It is insane. Well, Laura Becker is one of these young people who realized this wasn't what she wanted. And here's a little bit of our interview with Laura Becker on the Michelle Tafoya podcast. You did something really cool just a few days ago. You released a self-portrait, which we are going to show our audience here, uh, because it is brave, it is beautiful, it is bold. Why don't you tell us about the portrait and why you decided to release it now?
3: Yeah, so I detransitioned actually several years ago. It's been maybe four or five years now. And so I've been doing a lot of healing, a lot of therapy, a lot of art to try and process everything. And I'm still processing it, but I feel like now is the time when I feel confident to be able to do something this vulnerable because it is a self-portrait of my naked um, torso from about here up. And it's revealing my mastectomy scars from the transgender surgery and the nipple grafts. And, you know, it's... Is something that's taken me a long time to, to come to grips with, that this is the reality of my body, that this is the damage that's done. It will never look like a normal female body. It will never be sort of that pristine, natural beauty that it once was. Um, and so I wanted to do a self-portrait showing that to the world because there's never been a self-portrait of this sort of type. Um, there's definitely been a lot of mastectomy Portraits with, you know, feminism and things, but this was revealing the medical malpractice and the medical damage that was done by the transgender affirmation movement. Yeah. Um, and so I did, um, I put gold leaf over the scars right. as a form of the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is r- the repairing of pottery. When it breaks, they seal it with gold to show that it's part of its history and it, it's still beautiful, So that's my way to try and, you know, show that I've come to a place of acceptance with my body and it still works. It's still my home. I still live in my body and I need to move forward with what I can.
1: I thought that self-portrait was one of the most brave, bold, beautiful things I'd ever seen and her willingness to talk about it in that way. And then she talked to me off the air afterward and said how she really hopes she can find happiness in a marriage and and hopefully have kids one day. She was delightful. I absolutely fell in love with her. I encourage you to revisit that episode. She was just uh, an amazingly brave and fragile person, but finding her strength in coming back at these people who did this to her. So we wish her well, and we hope to catch up with her again in 2024. Before we finish part one of our year in review, let's talk about Wilfred Riley, the really interesting guy. He is a professor and a political scientist. He's an American political scientist, an associate professor of poli sci at Kentucky State University with a PhD in political science from Southern Illinois and a, a law degree from the University of Illinois. And he's part of a really cool podcast, but we had him on ours And we talked about the end of affirmative action, which finally happened through a Supreme Court decision. And let's hear what Wilfred Riley, himself a black man, had to say about that decision.
2: I mean, I'm I'm a big nerd and actually went to law school. So I read I looked at the opinion. I read through the footnotes. And I mean, Thomas said quite a few things that were pretty piercing. I mean, one of them was that in the absence of any racial problems whatsoever, the political left would have to make some up to justify a good deal of their agenda. I mean, what he's doing here is talking about the odd idea that opposing large scale racial preferences for one group is itself a form of racism. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, well, no, to the majority of this court, the kind of programs that are in place here where you're evaluating the personalities, quote unquote, of Asian American university applicants or where you have a I believe it was a three hundred forty five point application advantage as a black man over an Asian or, in some cases, a Caucasian individual, um, that that's completely unfair. So the allegations of prejudice that are being brought to justify these policies in many cases aren't real at all. The policies themselves are the problem.
1: The policies themselves are the problem. I really enjoyed that conversation. Another one worth revisiting. Well, that got us through about half the year. We're going to get through the next uh, in our part two, which comes out later this week. We hope you'll join us for that one because there we only scratched the surface of what happened in 2023 and what's going to affect 2024. So join us next time. And until then, be brave and do good. And we'll see you in a couple days. We're likely going to be forced to listen to transphobic bigotry.
4: Unsafe, unfair, and discriminatory practices towards women must stop. Inclusion cannot be prioritized over safety and fairness. And Ranking Member Lee, if my testimony makes me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist